0: Bibles with me to Genesis 32 and Genesis 35, Genesis 32, Genesis 35. Um, Our audio recording didn't come out last week, uh, and we figured it out. It was a CD, so I figured I'm going to do last week's message first, and then I'll do this week's. (laughs) The faces changed so quickly. Um, I was going to move on from Jacob and get into one of his sons, Joseph, which we'll do next week. But I'm gonna finish up today in looking at something very interesting in Jacob's life. And uh, so today I'll call the title Walking with a Limp, part two. Walking with a Limp, part two. Last week we look at that Jacob has this encounter where he wrestles with the man, it's not no ordinary man, it's not no ordinary angel, it's God himself. And yet at the end of the wrestling all night long, God touches his hip, throws it out of socket, it's out of socket for the remainder of his life, so we could say he walks with a limp. But every step he takes, he's going to remember now why he has a limp. It wasn't just some man wrestling him, it was I met God and he's reminded me every step I take, every walk of him and his blessing on me. Everybody that says, hey, Jacob, are you okay? You're limping. What's well, a great testimony, isn't it? Let me tell you what God did. In fact, it's also partly of where God changes his name from Jacob. In fact, we said this last week. Jacob means deceiver, trickster. The ESV calls him, he cheats, right? That's not it. Now, if there's anybody here named Jacob today, you know, Um, you you can rename it, it has some other meaning, but that's what he means. He deceives his older brother out of a birthright for a bowl of chili. The birthright was that he would get a double portion of the inheritance. His mother and him deceive the father who is almost blind, the Bible says, can't see. They dress him up with hair on his arms to deceive the dad. In fact, The chapter before mentions that Esau was 40 years old when he took his wife. We're not talking about eight-year-old boys that decide to dress up, you know, like hairy men. We're talking older guys here. It's deceptive. In fact, even the father says, that sure doesn't sound like Esau. Sounds more like Jacob, but he wants to feel his arms in the back of his neck. So he deceives his father out of the blessing. The blessing was the blessing that went from Abraham, that went from Isaac, and now it would be on Jacob. Not just any blessing like bless you son, it was you would become a nation. You would have descendants on the earth. I will bless you, I'll give you land. The descendants will be more numerous than the stars, the grand of the sea. It was a powerful blessing that he got by deception. So let me remind all of us, that's not how God works. God doesn't work through us by manipulating people, by deceiving people, by lying to people. That's not how God works. These things are placed in the scripture for us to see, to say, all right, I'm not going to be a trickster. I'm not going to be a deceiver. I'm not going to be somebody that's known as a cheater. Have you ever played cards with somebody and they cheat all the time? And you know what you're going to do? You're never going to play with them ever again because they what? They cheat. They hide cards in their sleeves. They have them under their leg. No, you don't want to deal with people that cheat. So we always start out with this verse because this is our focus for this year that we remember Hebrews 12, 2 that says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. So for 2019 and beyond, our focus is we're looking to Jesus. And we're going back through the Old Testament this year. In fact, Romans chapter 15, verse 4, says these words. The Apostle Paul said, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction." That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have, say it with me, hope, right? Encouragement, instruction of the scriptures, we might have hope. In fact, there's a theme all throughout the Old Testament that the prophet Jeremiah prophesies and says this. He's really saying, God is saying, obey my voice and I will be your God. Obey my voice, and I will be your God. So I want to read just quickly in uh, Genesis chapter 32, verse 24 through 28, what we ended with last week, which I just mentioned about Jacob. In fact, if we followed through Jacob's life a little bit, before we get to that verse, I wanted to read another one that stood out and kind of shocked me in Genesis 28, 16, This is the story. In fact, most people, if you say, now, um, do you remember Jacob in the Bible, what he did? Most people say this. Yeah, didn't he like, didn't he climb a ladder? No, 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 he didn't climb a ladder. He had a dream of a ladder that went from earth to heaven and angels were coming up and coming down. And it was also that he slept that night and his pillow was a rock. He must have been a tough-headed guy. Well, he's a trickster and deceiver. But listen to this verse in Genesis 28, 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and stay with me, and I did not know it. He has a dream. And in this dream, he wasn't praying for God to speak to him. He was just finding somewhere to sleep. He sleeps on this rock and he has this dream. And there's a ladder Is it from heaven to earth and angels are descending and God begins to speak to him. Yet we read this in this verse when he woke up and from this dream, he said, surely the Lord is in this place. But look at what he said. And I did not know it. From Abraham to Isaac and now to Jacob, you don't know the Lord when he shows up. There's some powerful testimonies that Grandpa Abraham probably had of what God did and how God led them and the mistakes and the missteps that they took. And all along as they follow God and getting them back on track, in fact, that's what it seems like, they're just constantly getting back on track, getting back on track. And now with Isaac, Isaac's got a great testimony, right? You know, one day my dad took me and he threw all this wood on my shoulders and told me to climb this mountain and he had me lay on this altar and he was going to cut me up, right? He's going to cut me up. And yet God shows up and a voice we hear from heaven says not to do it and now I know. I mean, there's some powerful testimonies. But here's Jacob with this powerful dream. He says, "I, I I didn't even know that God was here. How sad, isn't it? I didn't even know. But that shows us a little bit of what Jacob's been doing. For Jacob, life has been all about himself. Who he could deceive. Who he could trick. Who he could manipulate. And you know, Galatians says this, you reap what you sow. We usually don't like that verse, do we? Yeah, you're going to reap what you sow. And so Jacob is going to work for what is eventually his father-in-law Laban. He's going to end up getting stuck working for him for over 20 years. And on the night of his wedding night, he thinks he's getting Rachel. And his father slips him another daughter, Leah. I don't know how all that worked out, how he didn't know. But he woke up in the morning and he thought, that's the wrong girl. (laughs) Right? It's the wrong the wrong girl. Guys, would that be weird? What do I do now? Well, as the Bible goes, he runs right to Laban. He's mad. He switched her on me. I wanted Rachel. He stuck me with Leah. And then he tricks Jacob again for another seven years to work. And then another, I mean, it goes on and on. The trickster got tricked, didn't he? In fact, uh, what it probably looks like because of what they would do in the Old Testament, they would wear a heavy veil. Well, he didn't know. He didn't, you know, see her. And so, yeah, yeah, you you trick your father dressing up like a hairy man, like your brother. And then your father-in-law just tricks you covering up, you know, the older sister's face. Yeah, the deceiver got deceived. He got tricked. But we read in Genesis 32, verse 24 through 28, and it says this. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. You know, it's powerful if you look at, no longer will you be called the deceiver, the trickster. No longer will you be referred to as he who cheats. You will now be referred to as the promise of a nation through you. And he's gonna remember that with every step he takes because he now has a limp the rest of his life. Dad, what happened? Man, I, I wrestled with God and God changed my name. Don't call me Jacob anymore. Call me Israel. Now, as I'm reading through this, and we'll get to Genesis 35 in a minute, the reason I come back today is God comes back again in Genesis 35 and redoes the renaming again. So wait, you think, is God confused? You think God, oh, you know, have you ever forgot anything? I hear this all the time, and I know I'm right. I know they're wrong. Dad, I told you I wouldn't be in church today. I told you that two weeks ago. No, you didn't. I would remember that. I told you. You just don't listen to anything I say. No, I listen to everything you say. You just didn't put it on the calendar in my calendar. You ever do that? I, I remember everything. I remember. Some of you are looking, you remember everything. Well, God comes back to remind him, and we'll see it in a minute, of what he said he would do. Because as we said, the Old Testament, as Jeremiah prophesies, Jeremiah will say the Old Testament is about obeying the voice of the God. And we'll see that Jacob's kind of gone a different direction. You know, in uh, the book of Hosea, Hosea prophesies. In fact, and uses what happened with Jacob. In fact, it says this, Hosea 12, verse 3 through 6. And it says, in the womb, talking about Jacob, he took his brother by the heel. And in his manhood, he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. Now, here's something that we didn't read in Genesis that Hosea prophesies and gives us a different picture. He wept and sought his favor he met God at Bethel and there God spoke with us the Lord the God of hosts the Lord has his memorial name now listen to this last part so you by the help of your God return hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God boy if that could be a theme of our life even So you, by the help of God, return, hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. But I get a little bit different picture of Jacob. Remember, the Bible says that Esau was a man that was a hunter. He loved the outdoors. Jacob was a man. He just liked hanging out in the tent. tent. He just liked being in the tent. But now we see a man that strives and wrestles with God all night long. There's a change that's now taking place, but what it says is he wept. Sounds like Jacob was in a different position than sometime we think. He wasn't in the position of power anymore. He was hanging on. He wept, Hosea says. He also asked for favor. Jacob always asks for something, doesn't he? He wants the birthright. He wants the blessing. He wants the daughter. He wants this. He's always asking for something. He's asking for this blessing, but he knows that he met God at Bethel. In fact, he names the place Bethel, which means house of God. There he met God. But here's what we know. At this point, it's almost like we see a man that's been running a different direction, and now he's broken to the place that he's going to weep and he's going to need God's favor. I don't know if he's been following all of those promises that God has said about obeying his voice. He's not following those things that have been passed down, and we'll see that in a minute, because Jacob will need to acknowledge his weakness. He'll need to be humble for God to begin to use him. And so in Genesis chapter 35, let me get over there in my Bible, I want to read verses one through fifteen, Genesis thirty-five one through fifteen. And as I was reading this again, I'm going back to thirty-two and back to thirty-five because I'm thinking: Is did God forget that He already named him Israel? God, He already did that in chapter thirty-two. But here's what we know from Jacob's life, from his deception. What we see in the scriptures through his marriage, through all that—it's about thirty years of him wandering all around. And now in chapter 35, God's gonna get a hold of him, get his attention again. Let me pick this up in verse 1. And God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel. In fact, some of your translations say, Go back to Bethel. Go back to the place where you met with me the first time. Go back to that place. So we're going to see there and follow along as I read this. And dwell there, make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all that were with him listen to what he says put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Lutz, which is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people were with him, and there he built an altar and called the place El-Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother." And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under uh, the oak below Bethel, so he called its name Alon-Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Let me stop there for just a minute. When I am reading through the scripture, we don't have time to go through all of these chapters. We know that Jacob is concerned when he finally is gonna come across Esau's path because he deceived Esau, he's worried. There's a situation that happens with one of his daughters. In fact, she's raped and the sons go and kill everybody. We just read in here, that his servants and others among them are worshiping idols. There's idols amongst them. There's actually jewelry that they had taken and put on that wasn't just jewelry to wear, but it was jewelry because of idol worship. That's in Jacob's household, his tents, the people that come with him. They're not all following God they're worshiping other gods. They've picked these things up along the way. But it's God that calls out to say, I want you to go back to the place where I visited you before. I want to take you back. And in that taking back, Jacob does this inventory and makes everyone clear out anything that wasn't worshiping God. In fact, we pick this back up in verse, let me, let me read this again in verse 8, where God appears to him, and in verse 10 it says, And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. Remember Jacob? Deceiver, trickster, cheater. He cheats. Your name's no longer Jacob. Your name is Israel. It's like God saying it again a second time with even more authority. Don't be Jacob any longer. Be Israel. I love this about God because he has those covenant with us. In fact, I wrote this down in my notes. When there's a covenant that God does, God always keeps his covenant, his promise. He is bound to it. And he's going to come back and he's going to remember Jacob. And even looking at Jacob when they're worshiping other gods, he's going to come back to remind him, I want to have a visitation, and encounter with you, but I can't do it here. I need you to come back to where I met you before. And I don't want you to any longer be Jacob. I want you to become Israel. I thought about it. how long do you think it would take for people to catch on if I changed my name? How many times did you have to correct people? It's not my name anymore, okay? Don't say Walter any longer, or I won't talk to you ever again. I'll unfriend you on Facebook. I'll go through everything, what? It would take a while, but you would have an opportunity to tell them of the promise that God gave you. In fact, let's read on here. In verse 11, and God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give you. And I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then the Lord went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it, so Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. God didn't have to be reminded of the promise and the changing of names. Jacob needed to be reminded. He was getting off track. He was becoming that nature again. Well, I went through my Bible. We won't go through it here. You can go down a little bit. Jacob's name's mentioned again, but then it mentions Israel. You start going in different chapters, and in chapter 37, in fact, next week we'll start with Joseph, it goes that Jacob lives in the land of his father, but you go down to verse three and you start following along. No longer is his name referred to as Jacob. It's only referred to as Israel. Israel, this nation that's going to come out of him, walks with a limp. And God wants to remind him exactly of the promise that he had. God wants to remind you today of who you are in him. He's everything to us. And like we always do, we look to Jesus. Our, our example when we end our, our message is. To look to Jesus, how do we see Jesus through the Old Testament? Because the Old Testament, Jesus fulfilled. So I want to pick up in John chapter 21, verse 3 and 7. I want to look at this verse. You know, Jesus had, if we were to add up the amount of people that he impacted, you know, the Bible mentions multitudes. Some Bible scholars at some of the feedings say, you know, though it mentions 5,000 men plus women and children, some Bible scholars go back and they look at, you know, Jacob Israel as an example. He's got 12 sons. You know, and they got all these servants that these, these people had, you know, a lot. I mean, they had kids upon kids upon kids out there. So some of them say, you know, it's conservative sometimes to say seven to 8,000, and some of them swing up to 15,000 that they fed. Some of it teachings had thousands upon thousands of people and yet when he rose from the dead and came out of that tomb on the third day there was just a couple ladies there there's nobody camping out we've been waiting right it's the third day party without the band it's the third day party We're going to, we're going to, he's coming out, right? In three days, he's been mentioning it like the days of Noah, like he was, you know, in the belly of the whale for three days, the Son of Man's going to be like that. There's just a couple ladies, and they're not, they're excited, they're mourning. And then one of them thinks he's the gardener. You know, you missed a spot, I meant to tell you last week, there's a spot in front that you missed, if you can make sure to get that, otherwise, we just can't pay you this month. They think he's the gardener. He has to tell them, go tell the disciples, right? That there's nobody there. And then he's got Thomas. And Thomas says, you know what? I don't, I don't really believe the story you guys say. So here's what I'm gonna do. I want him to appear, and I'm gonna stick my hand in his side. And I'm gonna grab his hands and I'm gonna make sure my finger goes through his hands where the nails were, and then I'll believe. That's one of the disciples. That's one of the ones that left all to follow him. And yet we pick up this story in John 21. It doesn't look like that they've gone out to go fishing, just like guys like to go fishing. Because they're out on a boat. They're out with their nets. It's almost as if they're contemplating that what they had experienced with Jesus has ended. And I wonder now if we need to go back to what we knew, which was fishing. In fact, we pick up the story in verse 3. It says, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. They're horrible fishermen, aren't they? (laughs) Horrible fishermen. The disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it's the Lord. So from the boat, Jesus calls out, we didn't read it, hey guys, put your net on the other side of the boat. And on the other side of the boat was fish. And I love what John always says, the disciple who Jesus loved, you know, that was me, uh, told Peter, it's the Lord. Peter on the boat, and I just wonder if he had that conviction about him that he was at the wrong place doing the wrong thing, not catching any fish, feeling sorry for himself because he denied Jesus three times in the public square. One of the Gospels records that even at one of the young girls, it looks like he cursed at the girl because he didn't know who, he didn't say he didn't know who this Jesus was. And Peter's response should be our response when Jesus calls, because here's what he does. Um, When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he he put on his outer garment for it was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. Peter wanted to swim. He didn't want to stay in the boat till the boat got to shore. He wanted to swim by himself to get to Jesus. So think about this. Jesus is coming back to call on them. You know what you and I would have done? They are what? They're on the boat? You know what? Forget them. Forget them. We don't need them. We'll use a couple of those ladies that were at the tomb waiting. We'll use them. Forget Peter. You know, he denied me three times. It's one thing if you deny me once, right? He did it three times. And you know, he cussed at a little kid. Oh, yeah, we're done with Peter. That's how we would respond, wouldn't it be? Yeah, he's on his boat. Good riddance, Peter. I hope you don't catch anything. It's not Jesus. He's on the shore. In fact, if you read on that chapter, he made them breakfast. He's waiting to call them on in. The ones that should have been at the tomb. They should have been out telling people that he rose from the dead. They weren't. Yet he came and called them. You know, we see that all throughout the Old Testament. It's this covenant God that he should not be mindful of men or mankind or any person. But David says, who are you that you're even mindful of us? Who are you? He's got this love for us, that even Jesus himself would stand on a shore and keep calling to them so that he could get back on. And you know what he ends up telling them? He gets them back on the mission for their life. That's what we see with Jacob. It's almost like God comes back and says, okay, Jacob, quit living a self-absorbed life. Don't worry about your birthright and blessing. I'm going to work all those things out. Humble yourself and let me use you. Here's what Jesus is telling the disciples. Quit self-absorbing and feeling sorry for yourself and trying to go back to what you know. Get back here on the shore. Get off of yourself and get back on the mission that I've called you to do. Because here's what the Lord sees. He sees those things happening through our life. And he keeps calling back. Come back to Bethel. Come back to the shore. Keeps calling, calling, calling. That's his heart. That's his nature. And I love that. He never gives up on you. Bow your heads if you would with me today. You know, when we read Jacob, you think, though his mother knew that the older would serve the younger, Esau would serve Jacob, you would think that God would say, you know, maybe I picked the wrong guy. Maybe I should have picked the hairy kid. God doesn't give up on people. People are the one that give up on God. But God never gives up on people. He's always after people. In fact, one of the translations uses the word, he's like wooing their hearts. Jesus gives us that example in Revelation that he's knocking on the door of hearts but it takes our hearts to listen. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed today, if, you, if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, he's never given up on you. You may not hear his voice and you may have wandered on like Jacob had wandered and gone a different direction. And the next thing you know, there are foreign gods that are with you, but he's never given up on you and he wants to call you back. And the way he calls you back is to call you to receive His Son. The most important decision that we can ever, ever make. So I'd like all of us to pray this prayer after I pray it. Would you repeat after me? Dear God, I believe in Jesus. And I believe that He lived. I believe that He died for me. And I believe that He rose again. I accept him as the Lord of my life, my Savior. Jesus, thank you for coming into my heart. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sins. Thank you for bringing me into your family. And I will hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. The most important prayer